0: Cyber scamming has become a trillion-dollar industry, with the numbers of both scammers and victims soaring over the past three years. Let's take a deeper dive into Thailand's scamdemic. I'm Dave Kendall with Deeper Dive Thailand from the Bangkok Post. Please share and follow this podcast and you can watch the video version on Spotify. Scams have been with us since the days of the wandering snake oil peddler who has now morphed into the herbal cure-all online vendor. Many of the online scams today are adapted from centuries-old swindles that use the postal service, such as the fake Nigerian prince who emails you offering a share of his fortune if you help him get it out of the country. And of course, he needs your bank account number to do so. Another perennial scam is phishing. A scammer pretends to be someone else. Your bank... Your company's human resources department, a government department, or any random company you may or may not do business with. The email or message directs you to a fake site where you're asked to log in or give personal information that the scammer can use to steal your identity and your funds. Here's another common ruse. A scammer, often based in India but pretending to be Microsoft, tells you your computer is infected with a virus and they need access to your machine to fix it. Once inside, they'll steal your personal information, plant malware or, at the least, try to sell you a piece of software you need, ironically enough, to protect you from scammers. Then we've got all the romance scams on dating apps. Some involve the so-called long game, where trust is built up over a period of time before the victim is asked to invest in a business or transfer money to get a non-existent expensive gift that's stuck in customs. Others involve blackmail, such as threatening to share nude pictures or video. Sometimes prostitutes threaten to report a man to the police, when the prostitute is often a man using a fake profile picture. A less harmful but popular romance scam in China involves a woman claiming to be an artist and persuading her suitor to support her career by buying her original paintings, which wind up being cheap, mass-produced knockoffs. In recent years, the scams have become more sophisticated and financially devastating for victims. An unprecedented cybercrime wave has engulfed Southeast Asia in general and Thailand in particular. In 2021, scam calls in Thailand increased by 270%. Thai police think the 50,000 official complaints represented less than half the number of people actually scammed. The number of scammers at work in our region is now in the tens of thousands. Later in the show, I'll talk about the ways you can prevent yourself from becoming a victim. But right now, let's meet the author of an article in Nikkei Asia. It's called... Asia's Demic: How COVID-19 Supercharged Online Crime, with the subheading, Internet Predators are Often the Prey in Thailand's Lawless Border Areas. Since COVID hit, many young Thais have been enticed by online job advertisements promising well-paid work in Cambodia and Myanmar, Once they cross the border into these Special Economic Zones, or SEZs, they're in the hands of Chinese gangs who confiscate their passports. They've been scammed, and now, on pain of death or torture, they're scammers themselves. I'm joined now by Dominic Forder, Associate Editor with Nikkei Asia. Dominic, for me, the most harrowing part of your article was when one of the scam victims actually blew his brains out on camera. What Mm. happened exactly? And how was the scammer when he told you the story?
1: Well, it's not a unique story, actually. There's quite a lot of uh, uh, reports of suicides relating to scams, people who who just lose everything. This particular individual had um, handed over 235,000 baht. He'd sent it to some account. And he was applying for a loan to pay his mother's hospital bills. And um, the, the, the idea of him giving money was was to prove his bona fides. So for reasons that are sort of inexplicable, he handed this money over. And then he suddenly realized that he would made a very bad mistake and lost it. And it was gone. And um, as, as the story describes, he had a pistol. He was being taunted by the scammers and the Chinese uh, investor, the backer, Um, and he blew his brains out. And that's, you know, a shocking story. But this was uh, uh, an epiphany for the scammer guy, this little, this young teenager um, who suddenly realised that he was caught up in something very, very wrong and horrifying and wanted to get out of it.
0: Had he voluntarily gone over then, like how you write that the predators are also the prey in in this case, how did he wind up being a scammer? All
1: right. So the typical story is that people see advertisements. We we all know how bad the unemployment situation is and how, how badly affected the economy has been by Covid. So the the standard story is that people see these advertisements uh, on social media, Facebook, Line, everywhere, and um, they promise jobs that are relatively high paying. So, you know, maybe 30 to 50,000 baht a month, very good working conditions. Uh, It all sounds too good to be true. And of course it is too good to be true. Then um, in the worst cases, they go through uh, an agent who will take them up to the border and this could be Burma, uh, Myanmar, it could be Laos, it could be Cambodia, most usually it is still Cambodia. They are then somehow smuggled across the border uh, and they lose their passports, so they get stuck. So they've gone from applying for a desirable job to being in a situation where they're basically defenceless. There are other people who come in from further afield who will come straight through Sawanapum, uh, you know, a, a regular arrival from maybe somewhere like Taiwan or possibly even Malaysia. Um, and then they are smuggled up to the borders um, and taken across. Uh, the, the most interesting stories that we're coming across are the ones that are coming out of Malaysia, crossing illegally from Malaysia, and then being smuggled more than 1,000 kilometres north to the Burmese border and taken across through some, you know, rat run that the that, that, the police just don't know about. Um, so that, that that's the typical situation. And one of the problems that we've had with describing the numbers of people who are involved in scamming is that you have to make a distinction between people who get trafficked, who get drawn into it because they thought they were applying for something else, and never set out to be scammers. And then they have to earn back the money that it, that was paid to get them there to recover their freedom and get back across the border. But as I say, the second group are people who are perfectly knowledgeable. They know what they're applying for. They're quite happy to be scamming. Um, and I haven't come across anybody uh, in the course of doing this story that would, was able to give me what that split is. You know, Are we talking about 30%, 70% doing it willingly? Is it 50-50? We just don't know. And the other thing we just don't know is what the numbers are that are involved. So when I set out on this story and I had um, people telling me that, that we were looking at tens of thousands of people uh, on the other side of the border involved in this industry, uh, I was extremely skeptical. Uh, it just I, I couldn't believe that you could have those sorts of numbers and it not have been better noticed, and you know, more of a fuss would be, would be made about it. So as the story went along, um, I rather re- revised that position. Um, Guy, this the scammer in Poipet, uh, was telling me that he was kept in a dormitory that was relatively liberal in that he could actually walk to work in the mornings and he could go out and eat uh, Thai food in the market at night. And he was describing um, this dormitory as a, a building with six people to the room 20 rooms per floor, and six floors in the building. And when you multiply that out, you're getting on for a 1,000 people, and that's just one building. Then we found a compound on the outskirts of Poipet that would be, in Thailand, it would be a a Muban, um, but it's only partially developed. Less than one-eighth of it has been developed. And the sources that we had um, said that, that, that it had about 300 people in it who were scamming involved in it and, and we were able to see the buildings from the grand plan that were involved. There were three three main buildings being used for scamming. The whole of the frontage was shop houses. So you go down Highway 5 towards Phnom Penh and every single shop house except for about three was locked up. So it looked like a dead compound, but it had these massive steel gates on it. And behind the gates, you had these high steel sheet Walls with coil razor wire on them. This is not normal for any kind of, you know, people just don't live in that kind of environment. So, the information that we were given was that there are about 300 people inside this compound, that they were half Thai, half um, Vietnamese. Uh, and afterwards, about two, three weeks later, we'd heard that the figure had gone up to 600, that they've recruited uh, more security for the compound. And then it had gone back down to 400. So what you're seeing here is this kind of movement. These, these people are not just in one place all the time. They can be moved as it suits the, the people who, who are behind them, who are responsible for running these scamming businesses. So very hard to keep track of, of what's going on.
0: Now, who is behind them? Who, who is running this kind of scam operation on such a, an industrial scale?
1: Well... Scamming is as old as the hills, you know, there's nothing new about that. Um, and we've all come across it in the past. Um, and, you know, it's, it's worth remembering that Bangkok was, you know, Boiler Room Central, the capital of Boiler Rooms in the 1990s and the early part of this century. Um, and those were um, mainly British, actually, British, uh, Australian, Irish scammers who set up the bo- Boiler Room School Centres and they were calling from Bangkok Um, overseas Um, so they weren't scamming the Thais this is a new completely new development whereby it is the Thais that are being scammed and they're being scammed from the Thai border not entirely there are scamming operations in Chiang Mai, in Pattaya Bangkok suburbs it doesn't take very much to do it but they're being beginning to concentrate along the border in these SEZs because they're beyond the reach of the Thai law. So Thai policemen can't just walk in and arrest them. Um, And they have access, most crucially, to Thailand's outstanding telecoms infrastructure. I mean, Thailand has the best infrastructure in mainland Southeast Asia by a mile, whether you're talking about power supply, roads, um, water supply, telecoms, it's got it all. So if you're just over the border in one of these SEZs, you can just simply tap in to the uh, 5G system that's running efficiently inside Thailand and scan from there, but you're not under Thai jurisdiction.
0: This is possibly one of the most scandalous things that you wrote in the article. You said that uh, opposite Shui Kokol, just across the Mui River uh, in Myanmar, there are six cell towers 16. Down, 16 it's 16. it's more than
1: a dozen anyway they're, they're in the fields and um they're, they're basically they're cornfields you know the same as you would see anywhere else so nobody nobody needs a cell phone in well very few people need cell phones in in cornfields but the signal's extremely strong it's 5g four bar and they're basically facing schwekoke so yes
0: and who has erected these cell towers?
1: Um, the cell towers in Thailand are, are owned by the three operators, mobile operators. So you have got DTAC, AIS, and true. Um, and it's not possible just casually for us to work out who's who owns which towers. So we're not we're not pointing fingers at anybody. I mean, you have border to border 5g in Thailand. That's the situation. Um, and if it, you know, any operator will tell you immediately that they can't be responsible for what's on um, being their systems are being used for. Systems are used for criminal activity all the time. The question is whether those cell towers should be where they are in these instances.
0: Why are there so many and why are they pointing out of the country?
1: Yes, I mean, uh, the, the, the telephone system is clearly being used for scamming. Everybody knows that. And the police are right up against it. I mean, they've, got, uh, they've been um, dealing with um, things called scam boxes. And you can put 32 SIM cards into one of these things, and it just pulses the SMS is whatever's being used for scamming relentlessly at people. It used to be possible for people to buy 400 SIM cards at a time. And that has been stopped. And it's very important that, that, that it is now enforced. But basically, if you are in possession of more than um, five SIM cards, you're going to be asked for an explanation. Why do you need more than five SIM cards? So this is, this is a, a sign that action is being taken, that they're, they're catching up with a problem that got ahead of them very quickly. And um, this thing snowballed because of COVID. Absolutely, the correlation is absolutely clear. So you've got this terrible combination of unemployment, people losing their jobs, they're desperate for work, they're more gullible and vulnerable than they would normally be. Um, and then there's the much bigger regional picture. So if you go back um, to the sec- second part of the last decade, you'll find that China has these anti-corruption campaigns that they've been clamping down on uh, gambling. They don't like people going abroad, taking a lot of money out of the country to gamble. Uh, And that has meant that they moved on Macau, which was where a lot of Chinese would go to do their gambling. So the writing's been on the wall for Macau for probably the last six years. And what that has meant is that um, people who back gambling, people in the industry have moved into mainland Southeast Asia, particularly Cambodia, so we saw this explosion of casinos in Sihanoukville, you know, the new Macau, uh, which kicked off in about 2016. So Sihanoukville exploded, and basically it's become a Chinese city. You, you, you Cambodians no longer live there. Uh, and when we went about four years ago, it was intriguing that nobody actually knew how many casinos there were in town. I mean, it was exploding at such a rate. There wasn't, there wasn't anybody you could go to and ask officially how many casinos are there here? Yeah. Um, so in 2019, um, the, there was a problem with online gambling. So people were running uh, casino operations inside Sinoville for mainland China so that the, Chinese were gambling remotely, and it became so serious that uh, the Chinese government asked the Cambodian government to clamp down and put an end to this. And you know they made a big fuss about it, Um, but basically it didn't happen. Uh, The Chinese government, meanwhile, put pressure to bring back people of in back Chinese people nationals back home um, and sort of try and reduce the uh, the number of people involved in basically criminal activity. Um, So that was already happening 2019. And of course, 2020 COVID comes in. The result of COVID is that you get an immediate shutdown in tourism, not not a little bit, complete shutdown. So 10 million Chinese visitors that used to come to, that came to Thailand in 2019 didn't arrive. Those people were coming in, they were going uh, over the borders, to places like the GTS, SEZ in Laos, um, the King's Roman Casino to gamble, uh, suddenly they disappear. Um, all the casinos in Southeast Asia lost their Chinese clientele. They lost their foreign clientele because nobody was traveling. So the solution was to put the whole thing online, to so step up the whole online operation and then carry on doing it remotely. So if you went into... The casinos that were open, you'd see people sitting there with earphones on, talking to somebody in China, or cards being shown to a TV screen, uh, to a camera. That kind of thing was going on. And um, once this infrastructure was was upped, people who were doing it realised that this uh, infrastructure could be used for other activities. And the one that's most serious is um, scamming that we're aware of. And so that's why you've got this incredible surge in the amount of scamming that people were encountering. Uh, and at the same time, it became far more sophisticated. So we have one um, example of um, people being rung up and told that they're about to be arrested um, and that they are suspected of involvement in drug smuggling or what have you. Um, and they get very panicky, and they're asked if they would like to speak to the, the police officer in charge of their case, and they say, yes, please. And a policeman comes on the screen, on, on the line app or what, whatever the video connection is, and um, comes. he's sitting there, and he's got your ID card, your, your ID number, reads it out, looks at you, compares you to the picture, and confirms that it's there. So people that get caught into this Caught up in this, seriously believe that they're talking to a real policeman. In fact, they're not. There are fake police stations in places like Poipet, in the special economic zones along the Cambodian border. And when people tune in, they see a, 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 a you know somebody who looks like a policeman. They see police station activity, people moving around, lots of noise and bustle, and um, <laughs> you know they're taken in and so then the policeman goes soft on them and says, well, maybe you're innocent. Um, let's check your accounts and see if we can see what the movements were like and whether you're connected to anybody else in this. And I don't know why people do this, but that somehow they're taken in. They're so fr- in awe of being in the presence of a, of a police uh, investigation that they do it and they empty their accounts and they're told, well, well, you know, in 20 minutes, the money will be back and everything should be okay. And of course, that's the last they ever see of them and uh, a lot of money has been lost. But that's that's by no means the only scam, but it's an example of sophistication. And if you go on, um, you know, these days, you know, any kind of social media, you'll see all these ads for face-swapping uh, apps that can really complicate things. And those, those sort of rather amusing things suddenly become much more serious in a, in a criminal context. So you could have the face of a real policeman stuck on the face of somebody who's who's using the app, um, and it takes people in.
0: So you've got artificial intelligence putting words into the mouth of a real policeman, but also some of them are are actually Thai policemen, is that right? Retired Thai policemen who are just making money.
1: Well, I don't know what proportion there are, but there are two in Poipet. We know which casino it is, we know which floor they're on. And, um, I think their nicknames are Nat and Ton when they're in their thirties, and they're former policemen so they they have the uniforms the jargon everything they 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 know the game completely so they're sophisticated operators and I was informed that that particular casino um has uh you know a, a police two police stations ones provincial one's a bigger one, then it has a DSI office, and I think it was a public prosecutor's office but anyway So it's different things. So people think they're talking to different people. And um, the point is that disbelief is suspended and they're completely taken in. In the case of Burma, I suspect it's far more serious because we know that this this is a country that's basically out of control. Um, The junta controls still has control of uh, the crossings at Tachilek, Mesai, um, Mayawadi, those it controls. The areas nearby are controlled by different people in cahoots with the junta for the time being, but it's a very, very lawless area. people to be most concerned about are the people going over that border. That's that's obviously, they're just disappearing. And we've heard that a lot of Malaysians have gone over, um, Taiwanese, Um, we're aware that Indians have been locked up there, mainland Chinese. So the ties seem to be going more towards Cambodia, other nationalities across that border. So what's being done about it? Well, um, if you talk to the police in Thailand, they're taking it extremely seriously and they recognize it to be a very big problem. And they are moving as fast as they can to deal with it. And so you've got cyber cops, you've got uh, department of special investigation You've got the trafficking divisions. They they are definitely doing things. They're not. They're not sitting on their hands, but they're dealing with an absolutely enormous problem. Um, You talk about um, uh, telecoms infrastructure being abused. That's one thing, but you've also got the whole banking system here that's being drawn into it. And so, you know, the Bank of Thailand um, told us that that they in August they had something like fourteen thousand suspect accounts reported to them and I believe the figure was about five or six thousand in May so I'm not saying it's jumped by that much but they've noticed more in the meantime that they're more vigilant um so what do they do about it well um that's a very good question uh you, you, do, you do you just shut down every an account every time there's a suspicion that it's been used illegally um 14 thousand accounts is a very small, fraction of the total number of savings accounts in Thailand. Thailand's a very well banked economy. So you've got 70 million people and you've got more than 100 million savings accounts. And according to the Bank of Thailand, every day you have 40 million transactions. These scammers, um, the the accounts that they're using, they're called horse accounts. And basically, uh, the money goes in and then it'll be shifted very quickly out of that. So you can imagine how difficult it is just to track the movement of funds and the idea of getting it back. Good luck. I mean, I think you're going to lose it. What could more could be done, though, on tracking down the owners of the scam accounts because there, there are names and addresses and everything on that and find out who is you know has lost control of their account or has sold it to a third party for, for abuse. So more work could be done on that.
0: Now, one of the scam victims you mention in the article told me that he'd actually identified the, the, the scammer, the bank account number, uh, had all the information. He went to his local police station, submitted that info, and there was no follow up at all.
1: Yeah, well, the story that that particular story subsequently, because the account had a number on it, because it had a name, uh, we were able to find out who owned it. Um, And so that information was then relayed to the Thai police station and it transpired that they had lost the original report so that they had nothing had happened. So the whole report had to be refiled. And then it went into a bureaucratic procedure whereby two letters are sent out. If if the person doesn't respond to the second letter, then they send a a warrant and police officers around to collect it. So it's very bureaucratic. And I think this is something that you often see in Thai, Thai bureaucracy, that it's just very slow moving
0: um, and it needs to be speeded up. From your article, it's not the case that the Thai police are just sitting on their hands about no. this. You describe how uh, Deputy Police Chief Sorachet Hakpan was actually trying to free a group of Thais imprisoned in Yeah, He was negotiating with people who who turned out not really to be government officials, but they were actually a criminal, they were criminals.
1: Yes, I think it, it's fairly clear that that's who he ended up talking to and he was asked to pay money and uh, he <laughs> he tried to haggle, but basically he never hand, handed any money over. The, the key point was that he'd gone in, they had identified the location of a large number of ties in particular buildings. They knew which floors they were on. By the time they got there, the ties had been moved and they were on different floors and he was denied access to those floors. So he emerged with about 30 people who um, he he basically brought out with him and nothing was charged for that.
0: Uh, The scale of this is really, truly frightening. What can ordinary people do to protect themselves from being scammed?
1: Well, go back to what the police are doing, and it's basically a massive public education campaign. You know, warn people. That this is going on, make them vigilant. Don't don't be casual. If somebody rings up and give, offers you something that's too good to be true, it is too good to be true. They're trying to con you. Um, so that's that's their first line of defence, and that, that makes a lot of sense, you know, because it makes it harder for scammers to be effective. Um, one of the police chiefs uh, I spoke to at um, in Lamjaban um, was interesting because his name had been abused for scamming. So it it wasn't his face, but his name had been used. So he'd had to clear his, his, uh, his reputation and, and was serious about it. But he, he told me about all the, you know, the sort of Manhattan project that's been launched to get this going and how all the police stations in Chonbury, for example, are cooperating sharing information and that information is going into a central database. And his, his, um, comment was you know basically it's cyber vaccination you get people to be aware of what's going on and that's their best protection and there's a very interesting um, precedent for public information campaigns in Thailand and that's 1991 when the whole AIDS epidemic was kicking off here and we had a government uh, the Anan Panichun 1 government was extremely active in, in public information On AIDS, No denial. We've got a big problem here. Everybody wake up. If you do X, Y and Z, you will contract AIDS. It was the public service broadcasting on the hour. Even the soap operas had AIDS information woven into the plots. And it worked. And it became a model for, you know, uh, AIDS campaigns globally. So Thailand is actually good at doing these things once it gets its act together. And that that i think is is quite promising
0: cyber vaccination and cyber vigilance the name of the article is scamdemic it's in the latest edition of nikkei asia and it is a fantastic read dominic folder thank you very much for joining us pleasure david what are the takeaways Well, you may think you'd never be fooled by a scam, but when someone you believe is an authority figure threatens you, or a scammer uses other kinds of psychological manipulation, you're not acting from your rational mind, and in my opinion, in the era of information overload and constant overstimulation, we become less able to distinguish what's real and what isn't, to be conscious and present in the moment. A scammer stoking our fear and greed is more likely to be successful when our brains are already exhausted by the constant bombardment of images and messages. So how can we protect ourselves? Number one, be suspicious of any stranger calling or emailing and asking for money, even if they say they're from a government department, law enforcement, business, tech company, utility, or even a charity. Tell them you'll call them back and verify the identity of the contact by calling the relevant organization directly. Find them through an independent source, such as a past bill or an online search. Number two, safeguard your personal information and do what you can to prevent identity theft. The more information anyone has about you, including your browsing habits, can be used to customize a scam so it's more likely to fool you. Never provide personally identifiable information, such as a tax ID, birth date, credit card numbers, or address, unless you're sure you're dealing with someone genuine. Number three, do not wire money or crypto to unknown individuals. Never accept a job that requires depositing checks into your account or wiring portions to other individuals. Number four, be suspicious of anyone pressuring you into doing something immediately, whether that's to avoid punishment or take advantage of an opportunity that will shortly disappear. In other words, whether it's a problem or a prize. Number five, be suspicious of anyone asking you to pay for anything with a gift card, money transfer or cryptocurrency. Scammers use these because they're hard to trace. And number six, follow the news about the latest scams because they're constantly evolving. And do some more research by following the links in the show notes. A good place to start is the Australian government's Little Black Book of Scams. So, what do you think of the scamdemic? And do you have any personal experiences? Let us know in the comments section if you're watching on Facebook, YouTube or BangkokPost.com. Here's a couple of comments posted already. Renaissance writes, Thai should have learned by now about the integrity of quote-unquote investment schemes, and not to be fooled by them. There have been so many dishonest schemes over the years. Well, that's true, but scammers only need one out of a hundred or a thousand to cash in, and the scams do keep evolving, right? And Kuskaseksa says, When people are poor, they dream, and they're easy prey. It's easy to be sanctimonious when one has a fat pension. Well, no point judging anyone, in my opinion. Sometimes, even the scammer who may be working against their will. We just got to stay vigilant and cyber-vaccinated. Thanks for watching or listening. Please follow and share the show. And of course, stay up with all the latest news about Thailand and the world 24-7 on BangkokPost.com. I'm Dave Kendall. See you again soon for another episode of Deeper Dive.